It's the 1st of December 2017 and this is the Room Now we can review. I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com and this is the week in review for the last two weeks. Uh, we sort of skipped last Friday because of the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S. Uh, and I'll sort of fold some of those reports into today's report. Uh, an interesting uh, survey I found just today was a survey from um, mainly nurses and pharmacists and healthcare providers, some doctors talking about texting and texting of orders. I thought that was interesting because everybody's using the phone these days for everything. I, some of that I, I don't like, some of that I think is good. But in this case, there was a, a survey done and, and showed that 45% of pharmacists and 35% of nurses said that they receive text orders regularly uh, up to a third of the time in at least once a week and 20% um, uh, of the time almost every day. Uh, this is interesting because these same people admitted that only 12% of them had a formal official policy accepting texts as a means of a medical order. Uh, and this included hospitals and, um, and um, uh, teaching hospitals and, uh, uh, and even outpatient situations. Uh, so only 12% approved this, but when you looked at uh, you know how people really felt about this, more than half, 58%, had concerns about the possibility of a miscommunication or a medication error on the basis of texting. So this is sort of a trend that we need to watch and be wary of. In fact, I would advise against it. Uh, another interesting report just recently found large claims database uh, looking at uh, those who have infertility and comparing uh, those people with infertility to those who um, uh, are, don't have um, th that diagnosis. And it was like a 10 to 1 comparison, very, very large numbers. And the association that they, they were looking for was the development of an autoimmune disease. Uh, and, and so what they found was those who were infertile, um, and actually the reason they were infertile is because they think they were going to be or had been prescribed um, testosterone, um, but yet they were still infertile officially, uh, that there was a significantly higher risk of developing autoimmune disease, specifically rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, psoriasis, thyroiditis, and Graves' disease. Again, the um, augmented risk on, on these varied quite a bit. In some, it was only about a 10%. Some was as much as 60% increased risk. And we do know that testosterone and androgens tend to be anti-inflammatory. So it's not surprising that this finding um, uh, would be seen in those who may be uh, shy on their testosterone levels. Uh, I found a nice report this week looking at the utility of using an ice cube before giving anesthetic injections. And I thought that that applied to our patient population where injections and dysesthesia from subcutaneous injections are sometimes an impediment to use. Uh, and remember, Hippocrates was the one who said that you can treat pain and inflammation with, with, with cold or ice. So in their study, they suggested two minutes of an ice cube. I don't think you need two minutes. I think a minute uh, of an ice cube prior to the administration of, uh, of a pen injector or subcutaneous injection would probably be a good idea for those who are experiencing problems. Another study looked at the comparison of those who have um, uh, or either ACPA positive and ACPA negative in at-risk individuals, so-called preclinical RA, uh, and they, the differences in the overall outcomes were that ACPA-positive patients actually had a longer duration of symptoms prior to inclusion 
in this study, but they had a shorter time to develop actual arthritis. It was six weeks versus 18 weeks um, when compared to the ACPA negative individuals. Uh, ACPA uh, negative individuals had less lower extremity symptoms. Not sure what that really means, but there clearly are some clinical differences and obviously ACPA would be another at-risk factor in a preclinical population, but certainly there's a large number of people who will be ACPA negative who will go on to develop arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis specifically. So um, again, the story on preclinical RA continues to play out. Uh, if you hadn't noticed, in 2017, there were a lot of new FDA-approved drugs in the field of rheumatology and then dermatology and gastroenterology, drugs in patients who we take care of. Uh, it began with the approval of the IL-17 inhibitor verdalumab called Salik, not getting as much use because of the associations and warnings about depression and suicide. Um, there was another methotrexate put on the market, this one being an oral methotrexate solution called XATMEP. Zatmep? Let's go with that. There was a baloperatide, the follow-up to teraparatide. This is, uh, the trade name is Timlos. Uh, tocilizumab was approved for use in uh, GCA, and that's a good thing for those who are needing that drug. Uh, Ceruliumab was approved as another IL-6 inhibitor. Uh, Gaselcamab, another IL-23 inhibitor, was approved. Its trade name is called uh, Tremphia. Uh, subcutaneous Belimumab was approved, but Lista now has a subcutaneous version that's out there for use in lupus. And Lisinarad, in combination with allopurinol, is another approved product. The combined product as long goes with the name Duzalo uh, for those who are interested in using that for gout. Speaking of gout, there was an interesting study that looked at gout, uh, not just gout, but actually the risk of arthritis associated with um, the intake of high fructose corn syrup and so sodas and other beverages that contain high fructose corn syrup. We certainly know that this is associated with an increased risk of gout, but they went and looked at the NHANE study, uh, a recent study that looked at 1,200 young adults between the ages of 20 and 30 um, and enrolled them between 2003 and 2006 and they found that those who drank more than four sodas a week or five or more sodas or high fructose corn syrup containing beverages per week had a significant threefold higher risk of developing arthritis. Now, this particular study did not look at whether it was inflammatory arthritis or arthritis from um, stubbing your toe, but nonetheless, this was doctor-diagnosed arthritis. Interestingly, the same risk was not seen when, with the ingestion of diet sodas and diet drinks. Uh, a NICE association reviews the uh, autoantibody profile associated with cancer. Uh, we know that patients with myositis, I think more so in dermatomyositis, may be at risk of, of, of an incidental cancer. Uh, and now we have a biomarker for that. And specifically, there are autoantibodies to uh, TIF1, which has an increased risk of a 17-fold increased risk, uh, NXP2, which has an 8-fold increased risk, and SAE1 autoantibodies, which has almost a 13-fold increased risk. The same study showed that patients who were negative for the myositis-specific antibody profile, you know, the JO1s, PL7s, et cetera, were also at increased risk for cancer. Not at increased risk were those who have antibodies against HMGCR, the antibody associated with statin-associated myopathy, uh, anti-MDA5, which is associated with CADM or clinically amyopathic dermatomyositis, dermatomyositis sine myositis, 
um, and the myositis-specific antibody panel, JO1, PL7, PL12, MI2, uh, PLs, uh, e, anti-E and anti-OJ, also MI2, I think I said that already. So again, these are auto antibody profiles. I don't use a lot of these. Um, I may use them in a situation where cancer is a worry. Um, that's a new revelation to me. Finding these autoantibodies could be a challenge, but I do know that they are offered by RDL Lab in California. That's Alan Metzger's lab. Um, does a number of these different tests, including MDA5, HMGCR, TIF1, and I believe NXP2. So again, maybe you use these, maybe you don't. There's good news about them. Uh, there was a report from ACR that got a little play this week that you could find the link on the website about the use of extracorporeal shockwave therapy, what you would normally use for uh, renal stones, uh, has been used to actually treat uh, the calcinosis and the finger ulcerations associated with uh, scleroderma. As you know, a very difficult thing to treat. There is no effective therapy. My concoction is probably no better than your concoction for that, meaning that neither work. This is a promising new development. The FDA this week issued a warning about Limbrel. Limbrel is a flavonoid, um, much like cherry pills and that sort of thing, that has been advocated for use in osteoarthritis. It is commercially available, but the FDA has issued a warning about its safety, saying that it's under investigation because they have received a total of 194 serious adverse event reports um, linking it to either liver injury or hypersensitivity pneumonitis. So uh, if you have that in your sample cabinet, you may want to throw that out or talk to whoever's giving it to you or watch for that, um, that research, that investigation by the FDA. The, e, uh, the EMR is something we have to live with. Uh, the New York Times has a nice review article about the impact of the EMR on physician uh, practice, specifically uh, time spent with patients. And the data is pretty clear that all studies show that physicians spend more time with their EMR than they do talking to patients. In fact, sometimes the amount of time spent with the EMR is twice the amount of time spent talking to patients. Uh, and the, uh, the article goes on to discuss what are the benefits of this. Is this um, really a benefit? Is this a bean counter um, perk um, for your hospital system? Or is this really helping patient care? I've been doing EMR since 1994, and I think that they do make me more organized and help in many aspects, but I, I'm really good at talking to the patient and collecting my EMR data at the same time. So I don't waste a lot of time. I get both things done. Most people can't double task that way. A lot of people stay after work or on weekends and write their notes that way. That's gotta be horrible. So again, the EMR is not all it's cracked up to be, and what we're gonna do about it is hard to say because right now all of our payment is linked to metrics and uh, performance of certain tasks which we have to document with the EMR. Um, good luck with that. The CDC had a report uh, last week about Lyme disease and the U.S. report from 2015. The top seven states in uh, as of 2015 uh, in, 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 in decreasing order of prevalence was Vermont which had a, an incidence rate of 78 cases per 100,000 patients in a year. Uh, and then after that was Maine, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. Um, again, you might want to look at that if you're a Lyme state. And if you're not a Lyme state, you're wondering why are these people coming to me with Lyme disease when I live in Texas? And there is no Exotis Domini Tick um, and just a lot of blue-haired 80-year-old women who've been told they have Lyme disease. Go figure. 
Um, another public health issue is the Zika virus. As you know, it could be the big outbreak that's going to face this uh, current administration and our population. Um, it seems to have tailed off in recent months. There's been a lot of work on a Zika virus vaccine. Uh, and there's some new in vitro work showing that chloroquine is able to reduce um, the, the viral replication, in, at least in in vitro um, and, and controlled systems. It has not yet been studied in humans, um, but this may be something to consider. Um, and you may want to look at this report if you're going to be in uh, those areas where Zika virus may be more prevalent. Uh, JAMA, Derm, uh, JAMA Dermatology came out with an interesting study about dermatomyositis showing that if looking at clinical outcomes for skin, that only about 38% of patients are actually able to achieve remission uh, with dermatomyositis. Uh, and that, that means the vast majority do not. Uh, when they looked at the risk factors or the, that which would portend a better outcome to the skin and lead to clinical remission, the factors that were influential included age, increasing age, increased the risk, um, the use of mycophenolate, uh, and the last one was having an associated malignancy with dermatomyositis. They tend to be able to all achieve a lower skin score. The ones who did the worst were those who had that MDA5 antibody that is associated with clinically amyopathic uh, dermatomyositis. The patients have really bad skin disease, high risk of lung disease, progressive severe lung disease, but don't really have much in the way of muscle weakness and objective myositis. Another, uh, a, a little snippet from New England Journal in one of their cases of the week sort of thing presented a case of strawberry dermatitis in a 42-year-old who had epistaxis and it was ankyl-positive. The patient had painful gingival hyperplasia. When you looked at it, it looked like strawberries almost overgrowing the, the, uh, the tooth. Um, and uh, the patient went on to have uh, granulomatosis with polyangiitis or GPA. So that's a, a new clue. If you look at the literature on the oral manifestations of GPA, uh, much to my surprise, gum disease, gum oral, uh, oral and, and oral ulcerations are, are quite up there and something to be considered when you have a patient who has oral manifestations and you don't quite um, know what it may be due to. One of my, my more interesting cases, actually a few years ago, was a woman who had tongue necrosis and uh, she ended up having giant cellularitis and not a GPA, but you might want to be thinking along those lines when having problematic oral lesions in the face of a systemic disorder. Um, another FDA approval that may be of note to rheumatologists is the um, uh, inhibitor of, of the uh, IL-5 alpha receptor. This new drug is called uh, Facenra. Facenra, yeah, it's uh, benzralizumab. It is uh, an IL-5 inhibitor. It becomes the second IL-5 inhibitor joining Mepolizumab, and you may remember that Mepolizumab was in New England Journal a, uh, a few months ago, was uh, prominently reported at the ACR meeting um, as, uh, for its results with EGPA or Churg-Strauss, that you can manage the allergic manifestations with an, an, an eosinophil uh, activity with these two drugs. This drug, when given, has a rapid and near-complete reduction in eosinophil counts with good clinical results. It was tested and approved for patients over the age of 12 who have severe asthma. It has not been tested thus far in systemic illnesses or any of our disorders, including EGPA. Uh, you may want to look at two other reports that are on the website. One about uh, low evidence of guidelines, and, and this would, uh, appeared in, in JAMA as well. And the shocking thing here is that um, the vast majority of the guidelines that have been thus far 
reported by the ACR um, are not as strong as you might consider. Um, specifically, they looked at, um, what is it, nine different indications, uh, glucocorticoid-induced osteoporosis, uh, JIA, RA, lupus nephritis, OA, ankle spawn or ankylosing spondylitis, polymyalgia rheumatica. And when you look at the data, only about 23% of the data, of the recommendations from all these ACR guidelines are based on A-level evidence, meaning that randomized controlled trials, sort of, you know, prospective blinded studies. Um, unfortunately, the amount that relies on level C evidence, which is, you know, sort of review papers, things written on bathroom walls, oh, actually, I'm only kidding, uh, actually based on expert opinion, um, the total here is 58% of all the guidelines rely on level C evidence. You look at a few of the disorders, like, for instance, JIA, it's 86%, um, lupus nephritis, 70%, uh, SPA, 51%, and RA, 69% of the recommendations are level C, grade C, or expert opinion-like evidence. This is quite disappointing, especially in light of the fact that payers are requiring these sort of uh, guidelines to make treatment decisions about how they're going to spend their money. Uh, this is a big problem. I think we need to change the way we grade evidence and maybe take into account, you know, um, registries and, and what happens in the real world that may not be double blind and randomized, et cetera. But right now, calling it all expert opinion, therefore, relies on who are your experts. And how good are they? There's a big problem with experts being included in guidelines because those who know the most may be people who did most of the research, but they're excluded because they're conflicted. So there's a big issue here that really impacts the way we practice medicine. The last one uh, I think was kind of interesting comes from uh, Boston University and David Felsen's lab. Uh, they actually had a nice report that uh, the incidence of arthritis is really underestimated. Uh, and, uh, and their numbers uh, suggest that it may be underestimated by as much as 60 or 65%. Uh, data from the CDC uh, in 2014 said it was 54.4 million people who have uh, arthritis, all kinds, and then it was about 22.7% of the U.S. population. But the more recent data from uh, David Felsen's group was as much as 91% of the population, I'm sorry, 91 million uh, of the U.S. population has arthritis, and uh, that, that includes up to about 37% of the population. What they did was they actually looked at the NHIS um, surveillance system or, 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 or a survey that's done, uh, and unlike the former CDC studies, they, act, they went and looked deeper into the questions that were asked to find more indicators of what may be considered arthritis, and that's where they come up with this augmented number. And the last uh, report that I think uh, you might want to know about is the 2017 uh, Room Now ACR Awards. That's right, Room Now was at the ACR. We covered the event. You can go and look at our, our, our coverage, which was expansive. Um, we had more reports than anyone at the meeting, and you can find that at acr17.roomnow.com. But specifically, we came up with awards for the following. Uh, for rheumatoid arthritis, the award was for rates of malignancy associated with anti-TNF agents and subsequent use of biologics um, after uh, a pre-existing malignancy, showing that there was no increase in new cancer rates if you use TNF.